If you have spare time, you must remember there's always something that you can find to do. Enjoy those good days because they will carry you through the days when things are not so good. Be kind to everybody every day. Hello, and welcome to Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench. I'm your co-host, Aaron Davis, and in a moment, we'll be joined by Doug Robinson. He's a resident at the village at Sandalwood Park in Brampton, and he's a delight. Let me tell you what this green bench is all about. Yes, there really are green benches, Virginia, but this podcast, which is a way of finding its way into people's lives in the most wonderful of ways, is just another example of connection and the feeling of family, both of which Schlegel Village's retirement and long-term care residences are all about. If I may brag for a moment, this Elder Wisdom podcast was highlighted by Apple Podcasts as being new and noteworthy in March, and it moved into the number five spot in relationships. And so we thank you for sharing the word using hashtag Elder Wisdom in your social media, if you would, and if you do. We're pretty amazed. Today, Doug and I are going to share with you a conversation that is raw in its emotions, very honest and open and truly a beautiful example of the connection among us all. Jack Polechny lives at the village of University Gates in Waterloo with his wife, Diana Lynn, and she lives with both dementia and Parkinson's disease. Jack has lived a life of service, first as a leader to his community when he was just a child, serving God, serving the people around him, and today serving up a whole lot of wisdom and perspective about changing paths to be true to yourself, no matter what obstacles may come your way. Well, I should begin, Doug, by perhaps asking you to ask Jack how we should address him, because you did get in so much trouble with fines for calling the right Honorable David Johnston, the Governor General, for calling him by his many titles. So let's find out how we should address Jack, shall we? I'll let you get the fines, or we'll pass the collection plate this time, shall we? (laughs) Good afternoon, Jack, and welcome to the Green Bench. Oh, thank you. You're in for a ride. Thank you. It is lovely to have you here and sharing your story with us so openly and lovingly. We do appreciate it. So... Take us through your decisions, your education, and all of the 12s in your life. That's really quite something, because we know of a certain someone who hung around with a bunch of 12s. So let's go back to your career in ministry and all of the 12s. Could we, Jack, please? Um, Surely. Um, Well, the 12s started with my education, uh, obviously, in the uh, elementary and secondary education was... 12 years. And then after that, I did 12 more years of uh, graduate studies, not all in the same chunk of time, but a, to a total of 12. And then I was ordained a, a priest in the Roman Catholic Church in the order of the Congregation of the Resurrection, which is headquartered in Waterloo, Ontario, here where I am now. And um, then after being a priest for 12 years, then I got married and I left that and then I became a hospital chaplain 
for 12 years at Guelph, Ontario, at two different hospitals, St. Joseph's and the General. And then I uh, left that and I went to the United Church of Canada and I became a uh, pastor in uh, two different churches for a total of 12 years. So that's, that's every <laughs> everywhere I've been, I've been there for 12 years. That's astounding. <laughs> That's astounding. Now, to go back to your family, you grew up in a very religious Roman Catholic family. You even had a sister who was a nun. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, she still is. She yes. just came home from uh, 12 years in Africa, where wow. she was in South Sudan. And what was it that made you decide to leave the priesthood? I realize this is a deeply personal decision, but one that I'm sure a lot of people weighed in on at the time. Yes, it was uh, both a public decision and a private personal decision. Uh, the private part was uh, kind of upsetting to people because I was uh, a young and successful uh, priest, um, and um, I was the rector of the seminary training young guys for the priesthood. Mm, uh, and everything about it was that I was on the path to a full career uh, within the church, within the priesthood. And and I didn't share a lot of my own personal questioning, searching um, uh, with my family or friends, to tell you the truth. And um, so when I made the decision, uh, and it was made really on the basis of personal integrity, I felt that there was a disconnect between my outer self and my real self and my inner self. And so I chose uh, to leave the priesthood as a choice for my own uh, integrity, for my own sense of, of wholeness and completeness. And your mom stood up for you. Well, uh, it was difficult for everyone at the beginning uh, because, as I said, my every, they, they didn't have any sense at all that I was not happy where I was. And so then um, they tried to uh, convince me to to go back and, and uh, that kind of thing. So it took a little while, I would say, for people to adjust to it. She eventually, as you say, stood up for me uh, just in saying to some of my siblings, um, which I have eight siblings, by the oh, way. Oh, my. Uh, when you have done as much for the church as he has, then you can criticize him. <laughs> That's a noble position for her to have taken because every mother who has a son as a priest, it's just, I'm sure, as proud as David Johnston's mother would have felt of him being elevated to Governor General of Canada. It's such a lofty and a, and a noble position to have taken. And yet so much respect for the decision that you made. That's incredible. That early decision to initially enter the priesthood uh, was taken when I was quite young. Uh, and my story was that when I was in grade 11, uh, my father died. I was 15 years old and the oldest of six kids still at home. Um, so I uh, assumed a lot of the sort of manly uh, responsibilities around the house. And um, so then it was a hard decision uh, to go. Uh, to into the seminary, and I, I, I don't know why um, I had such a deep feeling of 
of conviction that I wanted to do this and even that I should do it now rather than wait. You know, I could have, I could have uh, gone to university first and then uh, gone into the seminary. Others have done that. Um, but I, I chose to enter the seminary stream and then go to university as a seminarian. So, um, my mother again gave me encouragement. She said, well, if God wants you there, he'll take care of us here. Mm-hmm. Jack, when you're in the chaplaincy in the uh, hospital, what is your basic role there? So um, the role of the uh, chaplain is uh, to journey with uh, people in this very uh, poignant moment of their life when frequently facing uh, serious illness and uh, frequently uh, death. And uh, not just uh, the patient himself or herself, but also uh, the family uh, as they um, make uh, very difficult decisions and then as they uh, journey with their loved ones. So I went into it uh, at that time no longer as a priest, uh, but as a Roman Catholic and certainly a person who had uh, thorough uh, theological preparation for the role. And then in chaplaincy training, uh, because it's a, a public role within public hospitals, obviously the person is not uh, designated to represent their own faith. We're prepared to be able to uh, walk with others in their faith. And that's the big part of chaplaincy training is that although you're grounded within your own faith, you're not uh, proselytizing for your own faith. You're you're being able to uh, to walk with others in 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 every faith. Yeah, and so the, that mainly means being able to uh, listen well, to listen to their stories, to listen to their emotions, to listen to their uh, spiritual connection sense, and then to. Um, to walk with people in that frequently to um, almost like hold a mirror up to someone uh, so that they see things for themselves. So you're not telling people what to do. You're not telling people what to think or feel. You're mostly kind of giving the feedback or the response to people that allows them to know themselves and to know what how to make a, a decision in this moment or how to find strength uh, to cope with uh, with the difficulty of this moment. So uh, chaplaincy is a beautiful, beautiful experience. And some people used to say to me um, that, aren't you exhausted when you come home from a day of chaplaincy? And I would say this, that, well, I appreciated the half hour commute I had from the hospital to home, because in that time I thought about or processed my emotions and my thoughts about what had happened during the day so that I could uh, set it aside for the sake of my family. But I um, also said that it it didn't drain me in the sense of stealing all my energy. In fact, it gave me strength. It gave me blessing. It gave me a sense of, in my own life, of value, of purpose, of contribution to the lives of others. And so I, I would say that uh, it, it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life in terms of shaping me personally and shaping my, my values. And um, 
I also, during all those years, I was a trainer for the hospice volunteers in Guelph. Um, so regularly I would do a presentation on spirituality, helping people to recognize when patients or uh, clients, they call them, are um, revealing to you their spirituality. And what I really wanted to alert people to is that this will be in ordinary language. It'll be in the ordinary circumstances of life. So that when they talk to you about their bowling league, you're listening to, this is where this person has a sense of belonging, has a sense of attachment, has a sense of who they are as a person and how they relate to other people. Mm -hmm. And so yep. um, this isn't just incidental conversation. This is a person's uh, sense of self and spirituality. So that was the, what I mostly wanted to train, uh, help volunteers for hospice to, to be able to listen and as I said before, to feed back, to say to people, I notice that when you're talking about this, it's something that's really important to you. Or it's something that causes you a lot of distress. And in giving people that feedback, it was almost like giving them permission to explore that area, to to think more about that and, and, and know themselves more in that area. Jack, I can hear you getting emotional yes, talking about this. And no, that is a beautiful thing. And I'd, I'd love to just sit in this for a moment because... Obviously, what you're doing, we think so much about the sacrament of baptism and being brought into the world and into the community. And here you are helping, in many cases, to usher someone into their next life or whatever their system of spirituality and beliefs may be. And I wonder if you could share with us the story of a woman who was close to death, her family surrounding her. And so many of us can relate to this, as I can with my mother when we took her off life support. But... No one knew what to say or do. So, Jack, what was your counsel to them? What was your suggestion? Yes, it went, I went into a, uh, a room that was a fairly large room that was designated for people in palliative care. And um, the, the mother was on the bed uh, at one end and, and uh, kind of sleeping, and the the family, which included uh, a spouse and sons and daughters and grandchildren, and um, aligning the, w the walls around the room and uh, kind of sitting and, and crying a bit and whispering to each other. This gets emotional for me, too. It's okay. <laughs> I got two of the, uh, the the daughters to come up and stand on either side of the bed and then um, in, invited them to start talking. And I said, just uh, tell your mom, sorry, about, about something that you remember from your childhood, you know, going on a family trip or, mm. yeah, learning something in the kitchen, cooking or something. Just tell her, excuse me. So what happened was that eventually others came up and stood by the bed and the conversation was going back and forth over top of their mother in the sense that it wasn't sort of speaking directly to the patient and saying, Mom, how are you feeling? Right. And expecting her to speak back. But it was the family sharing with one another 
as might happen around the kitchen table, where one person is more quiet, but it doesn't mean they're not part of the family and not part of the conversation. They're just um, maybe not speaking as much. So um, I got them to share a lot, and they started talking and, and even remembering and teasing each other, laughing. <laughs> and that's uh, after about half an hour or so, I left the room. I thought, this family is doing fine. They're telling their mother what they value about her life, about the significance she had, what she taught them, the values they had, the character, the relationships they had with one another. And I thought, what more could a mother want to know on her deathbed? It's a beautiful story for a family to be able to come together like that and to see the joy that can blossom out of that sort of sorrow. And that kind of alchemy is a true gift. It's a gift on your part. And how lucky in the worst of circumstances people are to share that with you, but that you are able to share it with us. And we honor that. And we are so very grateful oh, for, for sharing that story. Thank you. Jack. Thank you. Can, can I also say uh, that sometimes people think when they call the chaplain that the chaplain's going to come in and uh, give you a lot of platitudes and recite a lot of prayers. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have to honestly say that was not my role of chaplain. I never, I never tried to be um, religious in that sense. I always wanted to be spiritual, and that is where is the person's spirit and how can we touch that, how can we um, bring that forth. Jack? Yes? What's your favorite Christmas carol? Um, That's a difficult one for me because uh, I have moved away from the sort of Christian Bible story. Um, Even when I was the uh, pastor of a parish, I tried not to uh, sort of give children the impression that by acting out the Christmas story that they're recreating something that was real that really happened. Yeah. I I see the Christian story as simply a creation of literature as a way of um, introducing the character in the story from a literary point of view. So I, my relationship with Jesus is the relationship of the man who was uh, the teacher mm-hmm. um, and who uh, was uh, in the Jewish tradition and he was faithful to that Jewish tradition, and he was reminding people of what they had come to believe, of what the Father's love for them was calling them to be as individuals and as people. So Christmas has very little meaning for me. Sorry to respond to your question that way. Um, and actually, um, I have to say that I I don't practice religion uh, myself. And I have very good conversations with my sister, who's a nun. And <laughs> I was thinking how interesting it must be around the dinner table. <laughs> and, uh, she has a PhD. I mean, she's a very educated, she has two PhDs, a uh, very educated person. Uh, so, like, it's not like she's uh, sort of unable to <laughs> defend her side of the story. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, um, we... Uh, I'm very careful that I I don't try and convert people to my uh, perspective. I simply 
want to live it uh, with integrity for myself. And um, if someone asks me something about it, as you did, then I, I share maybe what I'm thinking or feeling. But um, I, I'm not trying to convince other people about it. And to be clear, we understand that, and we know that our listeners understand that too, that you're not knocking any set of beliefs or whatever. You are speaking your own truth. And one of the things, Jack, that I love that you do in your role as pastor at the United Church is something that, for example, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'll use this from a personal standpoint with all of the God, 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 you have changed the terminology for people who have difficulty with the concept or the word of God. You've added a vowel, which doesn't cost, like on Wheel of Fortune. You've added an extra O, and that our higher power is good. And I think that Personally, I think that that's a very digestible, understandable, and really kind of an available sort of a concept to most of us. Yes. I've, I've done a lot of funerals also. Uh, I lived in a condominium on the edge of town, and uh, a lot of the people there um, came to live in that condo from other parts of Ontario. And part of their moving experience was that they didn't necessarily reconnect with a church when they came to live there. Mm -hmm. And so when events came up in the life of the community, and especially funerals, I was frequently called upon to to conduct funerals. And um, it was my real perception that people strive to be good people. People strive to make good decisions for themselves, for their careers, where where they're going to work, where they're going to live, what the, you know, how they're going to invest their money. They try and and do good things and be good people, and I think that that's the sort of essential statement there of the meaning or the value of life is the very goodness of people and the desire of people to do good for themselves and to take care of the environment and to uh, show respect for people and even the um, whole aspect of charity and justice of working for a better world, working for a better society that we live in, that, that this flows from the goodness of people. And I even refer to God as what when other people use the word God, I use the word goodness. And so, um, how we how we strive to find goodness, we try and live goodness in our lives. We try and reflect it, and uh, it is evident in the way in the choices we make and in the lifestyle. So I I've made a lot of connection with people, and the amazing thing was that. Um, my preaching style, which was very personable, I never use notes, I never stand behind a pulpit. Um, I simply uh, prepare my thoughts to be present with a group. Well, I, I, do, I did prepare sermons, and, and I, uh, but I didn't uh, memorize them, and I didn't try and deliver them word for word. I tried to make sure that I could uh, embody, that I could capture, that I understood uh, the concept or the or the value that I was trying to teach, and then just speak from my heart on that. So um, when I spoke with people, uh, they frequently found that that I could speak with them without them realizing that I wasn't using God language. I wasn't using churchy language. I was mm -hmm. just using language that was a part of their own lives and their own experience. 
you saw them and you heard them, and therefore you were able to reflect back to them just as you said you did in the chaplaincy. Hmm. And what comes from the heart goes to the heart, and people know that. Yes. And, and when I preached that way, I, could, I was watching people's faces, and if I could see someone agreeing with me, nodding their head, that was, that was sort of feedback, okay, I've, I've, I've made a connection with that person. But sometimes I'd see a question on a person's face or a doubt, uh, mm. and, and then I'd think, maybe i got to go back around that again and, and say that differently or say that more clearly so that you know that person didn't really... Uh, understand maybe or connect with what I was saying the way I said it. So that being that responsive, I thought was was good for preaching because it wasn't a, a sort of prepared sermon that I simply did at my desk and then delivered to the people. Doug's predecessor here on the Green Bench podcast, Lloyd Hetherington, who we lost very recently, hmm. was a servant for the Salvation Army for all of his life, and he would help out with the chaplaincy where he lived. What's your role unofficially at the village of University Gates, where your wife is being cared for by you? And, of course, the staff and family there for her dementia and Parkinson's. Tell us about that, Jack, in your daily life there at the village. I started off, you know, when I first uh, got here more than a year ago. Uh, everybody I met, I asked their name. Beautiful. And, and I remember their name, and I call them by name. And so, in, in a lot of ways, uh, I, I think I became almost like a little bit of glue uh, because people moving into the, a place like this where we were, we were all new to the building. It was just being opened. It was brand new. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we obviously didn't know each other from, from our past or anything like that. So it was a matter of kind of getting to know one another. And so I thought it was important uh, to greet people by name and also to hear their stories and to um, to find out about their life experience. Uh, one of the things that I did as a chaplain was what I called active listening. And that is that when someone tells me something, I continue on that same theme. In other words, I let them hold the story. The example that I used to give in teaching people from hospice about being effective listeners was, if someone says to you, uh, we went on our holiday to North Bay, and your response is to say, oh, we went to Winnipeg, you've obviously stopped talking to the person and gone on to your own story, right? Right, yes. And so Very if you true. can stay with the person and ask a, a little bit of a question that invites them to unfold their story a little bit more... And I think that when people have a chance to share their story, they feel a connection. They feel a bond. And it's a trust connection where you think, okay, you've, you've shared your story with me. I'm not using it to hurt you in any way, to insult you or to ridicule you or anything. I will hold it tenderly. And, and I will, in fact, help you to share your story with other people. Because one person said to me, wow, he, he, uh, he skied. He did a lot of skiing all his life. He skied in all the big resorts. And I met another man a little while later said he's from Norway, and all his life he's been skiing. And I said, you got to talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, 
you two are natural natural buddies here. You both love skiing, right? So that's a way in which being a good listener helps people to make the connection in their life with other people, right? To to uh, and I and I I've had that so frequently uh, in when I was uh, in the condominium and saying and giving funeral uh, reflections and um, say things about people and their and their values or their life or their work or their interests their hobbies and then people would come out of it and say I never knew that about that person I've been living here for ten years with this person and I never knew that about them you know mm-hmm. and I'm thinking how sad that is that we don't have this. Uh, deep appreciation for people's stories that we don't listen to their story we just we just assume that we know all about the person because we heard well you know that they were this or they were that and we think they were a nurse and so we know all about nurses so we don't have right. to ask them all yeah you know what was their life for put them in a box Yes. Put them in a box. Jack I know there is one last thing that you can leave us with and it's a nugget of wisdom and I have to ask you this because you have a gift and we cannot all share your gifts. We can hear about them. How do you remember people's names? Hmm. Is it a little association in your brain? Yes. Do you go, oh, Fred with the full mustache. Fred, yeah. full, full, Fred. Tell us how that works for you. Well, no, that's a good way of saying it. Like, I, I had a neighbor whose name was Tom, and I, for the longest time I couldn't remember it. And then I started to think, Tom Thumb. And so whenever I saw him, <laughs> I said, hi, Tom, how are you? <laughs> I do that, and as you say, it, a, a physical uh, aspect that helps me to make the, the connection so that when I see them again, I, I can recall their name. Yeah, It is such a connection, and uh, as someone who used to go away with dozens and dozens of listeners and know their name before we got off the plane because I would study pictures like flashcards. It (laughs) means the world to people to hear their names. And the fact that you can do that, Jack, gold. It's just a beautiful, (laughs) beautiful way to start to make a connection. That's so true, Aaron. And it's also a sign of aging. I can honestly tell you I'm 75 years old and um, sometimes it just won't click. It just uh, won't click. <laughs> that is why the good, good made name tags. <laughs> so, tell me about it, Jack. I'm 86, and I can't remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yes. That's okay. It's tomorrow we're looking forward to, and we are so grateful to you. We thank you, and, and what a blessing it has been in just every way to spend this time and share it with you, Jack. Thank you for giving of yourself and your wisdom and your life, and and we wish you all the best. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. And thank you as well to Sonny for helping to make our chat with Jack possible here today. It doesn't all happen through divine intervention, and we are grateful. (laughs) And we're so grateful to you, too, for joining us here as we open our hearts and minds with every new episode. Make sure you don't miss the next one. Subscribe, and you'll know exactly when that happens. Next up, we're going to talk with the aunt of the man who came up with this podcast and the whole Schlegel Village's concept, Ron Schlegel. Aunt Rita has a lot of wisdom to share from farm to the future, and you'll want to settle in to enjoy the memories and her insight. It just explains so much about who the Schlegels are. 
Go to elderwisdom.ca to subscribe or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And thanks again to Apple for naming us new and noteworthy. We're in our second season now, so if you're just new to us, you've got a lot of catching up to do and you're going to have fun doing it. I'm Erin Davis, and on behalf of Doug Robinson, we look forward to talking to you next time. Your seat on the green bench is ready and waiting. Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care, offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.